But let's come to read God's Word just now. And we are reading from the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, chapter, five, chapter 1, and reading from verse 5, this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Let's hear the Word of God. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His, word, his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled, as you are, and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before the Lord in spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I, I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day it happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When the time of service was complete, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, He has shown His favor and taken away the disgrace among His people. And we now shift a few months and pick up the story at verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, 
And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Amen. May the words that we meditate on today be acceptable in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Doubts. All Christians have them. My experience is that some of them are intellectual. They are trying to puzzle things out that are great truths or philosophical thoughts, but actually most of them are deeply personal. They come from life experiences, and they are born very often of the disappointments in life. How can God love me when things turned out like this? How can God have a plan for me when my life has been, in many ways, disappointing? How can God be with me if He's put me through this? And I think just in saying that, we've all been there, haven't we, in different ways, in different places, and we have sat very, very often with Christian friends who have been in those places. It's interesting that the gospel of Luke, like so much of the Bible, starts there. It doesn't start with a whole big theological treatise about who Jesus is. John's gospel does more of that, although even there we have the darkness that the light shines into. But Luke's gospel starts right there with Zechariah. Now, as I take you through this passage, I could start by giving you a whole load of Bible background that would help illuminate this chapter about Old Testament uh, truths that we can see here. We could talk a little bit about Herod, because it all starts by saying it's in the days of Herod. We could talk about the background and the divisions of the priests and how all that operated in the temple, and that might help you understand the passage a little bit better. But actually, I don't need to do any of that, because this human story is understandable because it connects with experience. A man and a woman, his wife, and they have no children. And we know enough about life and people, if we haven't been there ourselves, at least to know what that means. To begin to imagine what that must have been over those years, cycles perhaps of hope and disappointment thinking that things might be otherwise, and then having them all dashed again of false positives and pain. And all of it conducted as those things are in a very public sphere where other people pass comment and say things that are hurtful. I uh, remember preaching as a very young, 
wet behind the ears minister in a church, and we were preaching on the story of Hannah in the temple, which is a, a similar story of that sort of pain. And I was preaching on it about what it said about prayer. And it was only after I'd preached the sermon and a couple came to see me in the vestry afterwards and said, that's our story. Suddenly realizing that this isn't theology in the abstract, this is people in the real places. It's not just about the specifics of Zechariah and Elizabeth, but it's the story of so many people that are caught up in that place of doubt and struggle because of things that have happened in their life. It, it, it can be a marriage failure. It can be the tragedy of a bereavement. It can be a career that didn't work out. It can be health that's failed. It can be disappointments of a hundred different levels that have happened to us in life and the public nature of it that begin to shake our faith. And it's interesting that Luke starts here, not with Jesus, and he tells us two things about this couple. First of all, that they're very old. Now, think about what that means, not in terms of of what it meant for fertility, but just what it meant for how they'd lived. They'd lived with this disappointment for a long time. They'd prayed about it for a long time, and they had got to the point where the hope had gone. This was just how it had to be. We're told also in those verses that they were blameless. Now, I don't think Luke here means that they were some sort of sinless people. He knows better than to say that. What he meant by that was they didn't deserve this. It wasn't their fault. It was unfair. It was undeserved. And there again is a problem for faith, isn't it? When we've gone through really difficult times and things have happened to us and we think it's not fair. What have I done wrong? Why me? And it's encapsulated in those verses. And the, second, the third thing here is that it was in a religious context. This guy's a priest. And we're not only just told he's a priest, we're told he's from a long family of priests. And his wife, she's even more of a priest. Not that she could be a priest, but it goes all the way back to Aaron with her. You know, you think you grew up in a church? <laughs> Nothing like this. And you might say, looking out, well, never mind, they had their faith. That would sustain them through all those difficulties and frustrations. But actually, I think this passage is pointing out that sometimes that makes things even worse. Not just because churches can be cruel, and they can be. We can often say the wrong things to people. But because in that expectation is the where is God question. If you're an atheist, you don't have a problem. It just happened. But if you're a believer, you're looking for something more than that. And so we have here a story, I think, that connects with all of us. The disappointments, the families, the careers, the personal lives, the spiritual failures. I sat on Friday night hearing the story of someone who had started a ministry that they'd traveled halfway around the world to take up, planting a new church, or rather reviving a church, And they'd come and they'd given up a a well-paid job to do this. And they came into that place and they knew within months that what God was calling them to do was to close it down. (sighs) 
personal sense of failure is a huge problem for faith. Now, there's more here. There is a background here. We're told that Herod was the king. Zechariah is leading prayers. And so, what we've got is a guy who's a king, and without going into all the history of Herod, he was an awful bully. He was a Roman puppet. He represented the tax-raising power and corruption of Rome and everything else. And here in the middle of that, this guy is sitting on the throne of David with all the promises that's been made to, to the people. And Zechariah is praying, God, do something praying and preaching in a day where everything seemed to be not happening the way that God had promised. And that would have raised more questions for him, not just his personal life, but his professional life. The whole thing, the whole purpose of his prayers and all that they did as priests seemed to be getting nowhere. And as I read that, I look at many ministries today and where we are in the Church of Scotland, and I can see that sense of failure, numbers going down no affirmation. But then so many other people know that in their own careers, don't they? And it's into that that the angel breaks in. And the first thing we're told is Zechariah is absolutely terrified. And then he receives this message, and the message is that you're going to have a son, Zechariah, and he's going to be a joy and a delight to you, and to more than that, because He's going to come in the Holy Spirit, the power of Elijah, and He's going to lead the way of what God is going to do next. And Zechariah hears this, and it starts with terror, this angel appearing to him, the last thing he expected, but very quickly, the terror turns back to the cynicism and the skepticism and the doubts. How can I believe this? I'm old. And said, very tactfully, he says, and my wife is uh, 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 well on in years. What's he saying at this point? I don't believe it. His disappointment is so real that he cannot believe that his prayers would be answered. He's been saying these prayers, he's been going through the motions, but he didn't believe anything would happen. And despair has become greater than worship, that even when the angel appears in that place, his despair, his hopelessness is bigger than the worthy glory of the Lord. You know, sometimes people say, I, I could believe if only God spoke to me. If only I really heard His voice. It's interesting, when you go to the Bible, you find that when people hear the voice of God, they don't believe. They run away. They doubt. They despair. They disobey. Because it's not really about that. And the angel says, I am Gabriel. Then he simply says to Zechariah, Whisht. Whisht, man. Stop talking. In fact, I'm going to silence you. I'm going to give you time out of everything that you do. And this is massive, because he was going to have to be quiet for nine months. Imagine that, man. You have to be quiet for nine months and say nothing. And to think, <laughs> he was a preacher. Let me tell you, that's hell. Can you imagine a preacher that couldn't talk for nine months? Nine months. Now, it's important to see that What's being done here isn't a punishment. It's not that God is punishing him for, for doubting. And in fact, the Bible tells us God doesn't punish Christians. 
The penalty for our sins is paid on the cross. We are not punished, but we are disciplined. And this is the loving Father saying to Zechariah, you need time out. You see all those things you're doing, Zechariah, that you've been doing for years and you've stopped believing that anything would happen. All that preaching you've done as a clergyman, all those praying that you've done, whisht, stop it. Silence. Because you're not going to find me in doing all that religious stuff. You're only going to find me when you listen. Be still and know that I am God. You know, I think there are many people in churches today harboring those hurts, those disappointments. And what they are doing, rather than coming to God with them, is they are hiding it in activity. If I do the religious things, if I go to the meetings, if I, if I run the coffee mornings, if I do these things, then suddenly God will hear me. And the Lord says to us, be still and know, because what we need aren't religious things to get us through it, what we need is God Himself to embrace us and to give us hope. Zechariah goes home from the temple, and there he is. Elizabeth's in a home in what was the tradition then of confinement for, for five months or so. She speaks. She says, this is the Lord's doing. It's fantastic. And Zechariah says, Nothing. <laughs> he can't say anything. He just sits there and has to listen to her as she praises the Lord. And there we stopped that part of the story and we skipped on four months. And four months later, the baby is born and, John, and, and Zechariah says his name is John and then his mouth is opened. And if we'd read on to the story, we get a song called the Benedictus where Zechariah just responds in heartfelt praise. This isn't liturgy. This isn't him doing his stuff in the temple because that's the prayer book. This is his heart singing because God has touched his life. But for four months and 32 verses, there was nothing happening. What was going on for those four months, five months in confinement, then four months before the baby is born. What was going on in those four months? Well, we skipped the bit for 32 verses, but you know the story well. Because what was going on in that time is that angel Gabriel went to another woman and told her she was going to have a baby. He went not to a, a preacher or a temple guy or his priestly wife. He went to a little girl, a young girl, and she said, let it be to me according to the will of God. No doubts, no despair, just obedience. And she sang immediately for joy. I really like this story. Luke started with two people. Zechariah, priestly, well-read, temple guy, preacher, and Mary, background unknown, age young, experience nil. And it is the young woman who is filled with the Spirit and sings the Magnificat, and it is the old priest who God says, shut up. And it's amazing as that story goes on, where we get to with a church, isn't it, sometimes because we do the exact opposite. People come and say, I need the minister. It has to be the minister. I want the minister to visit. I want the minister to do this. I want the minister to take the service. And here right at the beginning of the Bible is God saying, forget that. 
Tell them to shut up and let the young woman sing of what God has done in her life. Maybe we need to listen to that a little bit more. Zechariah, silence your prayers, stop your preaching, because no one's going to listen to you, Zechariah, anymore, says God, until your heart sings with joy for what I have done in you, and then they'll listen. What does all this mean for us? Well, it starts the gospel in our hopes and in our disappointments, and it's into that that God comes, into our frustrations. This isn't where it ends our faith, it's where it begins. And it's not a story that God came and sorted it all out either. You know, there are some places you can go today where you'll hear a sermon preached from the front which says this, just have more faith, just believe, just pray more, and God will give you everything you want. And by the way, that means you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and you'll probably have a yacht and a boat and a successful company as well. You know, that's the prosperity gospel. They read Psalm 37 at verse 4 where it says, delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. And they say, yeah, that's fantastic. Come and pray and you'll get the jacuzzi. Now, I wish it was true, a little bit of me. For a start, I think we'd get more people coming to church if I preached that and actually found it was true, don't you? But it's not our experience and it's not true. Zechariah, in fact, didn't get the desires of his heart even after all of this. He, he was an old man. He probably never saw John past his toddler stage, never mind into being the fearsome prophet that he would become. He never saw that. And in any case, John wasn't the answer. John was just the guy that was going to come and point to the answer. No, God gives us good things in life, and, and we come and we give thanks for that. But the good things aren't what God promises. Even when God is giving us good things, it's almost like they're just His kisses telling us He loves us. The present, the gift, is a relationship with Him Himself. He knows what the desires of our heart is. The desires of our heart aren't the things that we want temporarily. They are the deep healing and meeting of our broken hearts. That is what this is about as God comes into the world in Christ. You know, when you've got disappointment, there's four things you can do very quickly. First of all, you can blame the things. You know, we've all done that, haven't we? I was really hoping for a new car and I got it and it was a bit rubbish. It was a disappointment. It was the wrong make, the wrong model. I need another one. You know, I moved house I thought that house, if I got that big house, I've dreamed of that big house, and I thought it was great, and if I got it, I was going to be really happy, and it was going to fulfill everything. I was obsessed with it. I got it. But you see, if that's really your desire, when you get it, you find it's not that good. And what do you need to do? Move again. And there's a whole lot of worlds of people doing that. I got married. It was a disappointment. Well, it's obviously his fault I'll get, or her fault. I'll, I'll, I'll find the perfect partner. And so we blame the thing and we try to get more, and there's a whole world doing that at the moment. The job, looking for the next thing. You two sang that famous song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Because the thing is not the thing that's going to satisfy your soul. So, you can blame the thing, or you can blame yourself, and that's a problem too. It's my fault. I failed. I didn't pray hard enough. I didn't work hard enough. I didn't do hard enough, and you just end up with self loathing, self-despising, and that's not healthy. 
or you can blame the world. It's not fair. It was the government's fault. It was their fault. It was that's fault. It was the injustice of the world around me, and you end up angry and resentful, and we have lots of people in our society like that today. Or you can realize that you were not made. You were not designed for these things that the world offers. You were made for something else. You were made to walk with the Lord. You were made to know Him and be filled in His presence. Jesus says in John 14, my peace I give to you, a peace that nothing in this world will ever give you. So set your troubled hearts at rest and banish your fears. That is what the gospel gives. The gift, Luke tells us, is God come Himself that we might know Him and know His love and His forgiveness. This Sunday, we mark the second coming of the Lord. And people find that strange. Why at the beginning of Christmas, when we're looking to the Lord coming again, do we look to the second coming? And in fact, it seems mean because we want to sing Christmas carols and the minister's got us singing about judgment and God coming and all those things, and that sounds awful. But here is the good news. Here is the good news. The one who comes and is the ultimate end of the world the one who comes and is the hope that we have of all things, the one who comes to make all things new and to bring justice, to liberate and bring resurrection, is the one who came in love in Bethlehem. This universe, this purpose, this meaning of life is seen in this Alpha and this Omega, this one who said, I come and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And if you want to on Advent Sunday, read to the end of the book of Revelation where it talks about the holy city descending and there being peace because God walks among His people again and they know the hope and desire of their hearts, the desire of all nations, the Lord. Amen.